Right, Kid Venture is going back. Don't worry, parents, we usually only lose a few during the day. <laughs> There's usually not many that don't come back. All right, so if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Uh, you know why I like the book of James? You read it. And you wish that you would have put on some steel toe boots when you did. And this passage we're going to look at tonight is no different. So let's be honest with each other. As we look at our society in America today, it's impossible not to notice that we have become a society of victims. And it seems like it's the popular thing. It's popular to be a victim nowadays. And nobody wants to take the blame, or maybe a better term would be, no one wants to be held responsible for anything. Now, as a believer, we face many challenges to the cross in our daily lives. But this would have to be one of the biggest. And if you were, if you were here in the Sunday school message, you know uh, over the past several weeks, not this morning, but over the past several weeks about the Ten Commandments, you know that this is something that I said several times. We live in a society today that looks at sin like it's an old-fashioned idea. It's gone the way of the black and white TV and the 8-track. Nobody wants to take any personal responsibility for the sin that is in their life today. Our society today, we classify a man as ill instead of evil. As sick instead of sinful. If there's anything wrong, it must be someone else's fault. It must be the environment, it must be heredity, it must be genetics, it must be circumstances, it must be our society. The favorite game in America today is the blame game. Some today are even trying to blame God. They say, God, you made me this way. I had no choice in the matter. I'm just a helpless victim here. But this is nothing new. This is as old as the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned against God, God came walking through the midst of the garden. What did Adam say? He said, well, God, the woman that you gave to me. Blaming God. The Lord, it's either your fault or it's hers because it's definitely not my fault. You gave her to me. She caused this sin. And when the Lord turned to Eve, what did Eve say? The, the serpent beguiled me. So the serpent got blamed. And the serpent definitely didn't have a leg to stand on. Right, that was, a, that, was a, that was a joke. Thank you. All right, there we go. Um, but really, everybody wants to blame somebody else for what they do today. Very frankly, this is a real problem in America today. We had, in the past, uh, if you can think back, and, and I guess still this is a problem, obviously, if people are smoking, but... Uh, you know, we see the trials uh, in the past 30, 40, 50 years. We've seen cigarette smokers suing tobacco companies because this poison is making them sick. Nowadays, what you see is the popular thing is suing the vaping companies, right? I mean, I always used to think, my parents smoked growing up, and they would tell me how bad it was, yet they would still do it, right? But even these people who acted like it was this big revelation to them that they are now sick after they smoked and I used to think to myself even as a child can't you read like it says what the stuff is on the package now that obviously came a little bit later but it's not like this stuff was was said yeah go ahead and do this this is the greatest thing of all time 
Like, it's on the package. Even today, it's, there's warnings everywhere. Good night, people. What did you think would happen? But you blame somebody else. In New York City, a man jumped, jumped now, in front of a subway train. He wasn't pushed. He, was, he jumped. And somehow he lived. And then proceeded to sue the train company because they did not stop in time. This guy won $650,000 for that. Now, I, look, I didn't, I didn't read far enough to find out what the extent of his injuries are. That $650 doesn't grow you new legs, but I'm just saying. He said that it was the train company's fault that he jumped in front of the train. A woman was filling out an accident report. She had dented the fender of a parked car while she was trying to park her own. One question on the report was, what could the operator of the other vehicle have done to avoid this accident? To which she wrote, he could have parked somewhere else. You see, what I'm saying is, there's no fault in people anymore. People don't have a fault button. However, God's word has something to say about this. Now, I told you at the beginning, James chapter 1, if you can look at verse 12 with me. James chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, this passage doesn't say if you're tempted, right? It says when you are tempted. Now, there's not a person in this building today that isn't day by day tempted in some way. All of us are. For one thing or another now, our temptations may not be exactly the same, their root may be the same, but every single day, every single one of us are tempted in some way. Now notice here what James is saying about these excuse makers. He's first saying that God is unable to be tempted by evil, James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Why? Because he's holy. He is holy of holy, right? God cannot be tempted with evil. And God will never, never, never tempt you with evil. Because if he did, you would have the perfect alibi. If God could tempt me with evil, I would have the perfect alibi. I could justifiably say, who can withstand God? And he tempted me with evil. So we need to put away these excuses that God is, is tempting me with some sort of evil. It's not, it's not a gland that has gone screwy in my life. It's not God causing me to sin. We cannot blame God for our sin. Now, make no mistake, God will test you. And God will prove you. But he will never, ever, ever induce you to do evil. God gives us tests to help to, us to take a stand. Satan gives us temptations to make us stumble. In a sermon titled Faith Tested and Crowned, Alexander McLaren distinguished between being tempted and being tried. He said, The former word conveys the idea of appealing to the worst part of man with the wish that he may yield to do the wrong. 
The latter means an appeal to do the better part of man with the desire that he should stand. McLaren continued, Temptation says, Do this pleasant thing. Do not be hindered by the fact that it is wrong. A trial or proving says, Do this right and noble thing. Do not be hindered by the fact that it is painful. Now, sin does not come from God. Satan is an agent of temptation. But make no mistake, sin is undoubtedly and unquestionably an inside job. And that's the title of this message today, Sin is an Inside Job. You're going to be tempted if you are a friend of God. Don't get the idea that just because I'm saved now that it's going to be all unicorns and butterflies for you the rest of your life. Don't get the idea that being saved precludes you from being tempted because Jesus Christ was tempted and he was perfect. And when you become a friend of God, then you automatically become the enemy of Satan. Right? You're now on the most wanted list of his. Being a Christian may actually increase your temptation. If you've never met the devil in your Christian walk, maybe it's because you and him have been going in the same direction. Billy Sunday said temptation is the devil whistling at the keyhole. Sinning is opening the door and letting him in. You're, you're going to be tempted. It's going to happen. Satan has laid plans to tempt you in your life and to bring you down. But, there is a but here. But, he cannot do it without your consent. Here is the message in a nutshell today. Again, sin is an inside job. James chapter 1, verse 14, look at it with me. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust and enticed. Do you see what it's saying here? A sin is very much like a seduction. Like a man who seduces a woman or a woman who seduces a man. This is what the word drawn away literally means. It means to entice. So, I'm going to give you a couple points this morning. Make it easy if you're taking notes. Point number one. There is a courtship that leads to a consent. There is a courtship that leads to a consent. The devil is going to court you. Temptation is going to come your way in your life to entice you. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, so um, I don't know if, if I haven't talked about a lot since I've been here, but back home it was always a joke that I love to fish. Like fishing, I love fishing, right? And uh, I don't get to do it as much as I would like anymore. Um, but I don't think I've ever told this story since I've been going to this church yet, but I remember the first time I caught a fish with a man-made lure. It was a man-made lure, and if any of you guys are fishermen here, maybe you know this, this lure. It's called the, the Mimic Minnow. And I remember buying it because a guy that I knew who fished a lot when I first started fishing, he bought, he said it was cool, so I'm like, oh, that's cool, I'll get it too, right? And it was the first man-made lure I'd use instead of like a leech or a worm or whatever. And I went out to, to cast from the shore, and, and uh, you know, I threw my line in, and, and man, it was, it was not too long after I did exactly what the instructions said in the back of the package, where I kind of moved it a little bit so the minnow would flap around in the water and it would look like it. You know, I caught something, and it was probably the biggest fish at that time that I caught, and I was so excited I didn't even reel it in. I just, like, put on the little lock and, like, ran backwards like I was five, right, and just drug it onto the shore because I was so excited. And, uh, 
you know, I think back on it now, and, and I guess when you think of fishing, especially with man-made lures all together, what a dumb fish, right? I mean, if you think about the fish in and of itself, um, it's not food. It, it's wood and plastic with some paint on it, and it's got hooks coming out of the side. But there's something that's inside of that fish, right? That when it sees that the, the movement, it feels the movement, it sees the bright colors, it's got to have that lure. It's like it can't stop itself. It was enticed. When we are fishing, we are enticing the fish. We are drawing it away. What a dumb fish, right? But how much more do we do that in our own lives every day? Now, in our passage this morning, it uses the same language, although not about a bass, right, but about people. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. The anatomy of a sin here, right? There is a courtship, an enticement, right, that leads to a consent. The devil flirts. He has his bait, and it is a flirtation. And then he draws you away. Now, whatever you've got in your life depends on what he's drawing you away from. It could be he's drawing you away from your spouse or your children or your church, right? Or your relationship with God altogether. You see, it begins not on the outside. It begins on the inside. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a man. It doesn't say that your environment gave you any of this. Your upbringing, where you came from, what school you went to, anything. Your social standing. God lists all of these things out in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. And he says, all of these things come from within and defile a man. Now the problem with our country today is that nobody really believes that anymore. Right? We, we don't believe that. It's an old-fashioned saying. A person says, I practice this or... Or, or, or this or that perversion because I was born with this desire, right? Homosexuality is an easy one to point out in this, but there's lots of things that people say like for this. But homosexuality is an easy one, right? We can use that as an example. I was born gay, right? I was born with these desires. Look, all I'm saying is we can't be fooled. This is not an excuse. Any more than a pedophile can say that I was born with these desires. We don't take that as an excuse, or, or a kleptomaniac can say, I was born with the desire to steal. We wouldn't accept that excuse. Or a murderer can say, I was born with the desires to kill. Okay, well, go ahead and just kill then, I guess. It's fine. You were born that way. You can't help it. We would never say that. These things come out of the heart. They're in the heart. We can't say to God, you're to blame, God. You made me this way. I'm not to blame. No, we need to understand that sin is an inside job. There's a book out there, and I mean, you can get it. It's called The Big Con. It talks about confidence men, and these confidence men are men who will trick, swindle, steal people into giving them their own money, right? And a lot of times what they go after is they go after people who, who are not 
Um, you know, they go after older people who are easily, um, you know, swayed and, and they try and catch them onto a particular type of con. There's always a new one that takes place, so it's always ever-changing because people start getting onto one con, so then they have to change it a little bit. Um, but here's the underlying theme of the big con. These confidence men, those con men all said the same thing. Nobody can be caught in one of these confidence schemes unless they have a touch of larceny in their own heart already. Now, for a Christian, that should, be, that should not be something that is surprising to us. Now, I know that it's something that's sensitive, right? If, if I have a grandmother who somebody calls and tries to get their, their, their money from them, if the person is completely out of their facilities and they're getting their money, look, that's a different story. I'm talking about, you know, somebody says, hey, uh, I got caught up in this pyramid scheme, right? Well... The reason that you allowed yourself to get caught up in this pyramid scheme is because you were trying to make money quick when you should have known that nobody can make money that quick. right? It just doesn't happen. Nobody, you, you don't have this winning lotto ticket just waiting out there for you. If it's too easy, it's probably too easy. right? And they say, nobody can get caught in one of these confidence schemes unless they have a touch of larceny in their heart. It may be a fine, upstanding person, right? but they have a touch of larceny in their heart. They don't uh, they don't need to want this, uh, they, they need to at least want this at least a little, right? I think Andrew Glassow said it best when he said, temptation usually comes through a door that has been deliberately left open. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is, right? You see, Satan is looking for an inside thing. He's looking for that loophole that you've got in your life, a touch of larceny that's in your heart. Satan throws out the bait, he draws people away, but the sinner says, I want that. The sinner must provide his consent. There is a courtship that leads to a consent. You cannot blame God. You cannot fully blame the devil, if we're being honest. You cannot blame circumstances. The Bible says that you are drawn away of your own lusts. Now, being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. Let's be straight on this now. You are completely free until the point of choice. Once you choose... That is the consent, right? Now, um, God says that you are free to choose, right? He has given us this, whatever you want to call it. We have, we have free will. If you're a Christian, you can say I have Christian liberties. However you want to term it, right? However, you are not free, though, to choose your consequences, right? I, in all my years as a youth pastor, I've told kids that all the time because this is what happens, right? And look, let's... Uh, Let's not put ourselves adults on a pedestal. We as adults do the same thing, right? We might just know how to say it better. But teenagers would come to me and they'd say, uh, look, Pastor Allen, I, I want to do this thing. I want to date this person, but my parents say no. Or I want to, to, I I to listen to this music or I want to watch this movie or you know, whatever. Insert your thing here. And they would say, okay, so I want to do this thing. And I'd be like, well, what does the Bible say? And we would go through it. I'd say, okay, so uh, the Bible might not be, you know, 100% clear on, you know, whatever, right? It might give you some ambiguity there, but what then do your parents say, right? There may be some leeway there as far as what the, the Bible says, but what do your parents say, right? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not date until you are 18, okay? But if your parents tell you you are not to date until you are 18, then you are not dating until you are 18. Or at least you shouldn't, right? So what are they going to do? They either have to make a choice now. I'm either going to date this person in secret or I'm going to obey my parents, okay? Now, what I always tell them is, look, 
No matter what I tell you, no matter what your parents tell you, you are a human being who can make their own decisions. I've told you what God's word says about uh, relationships and especially if it was a Christian going to the non-Christian, being unequally yoked. And I've told you all these things. I've told you about obeying your parents and all this. You're going to make your own decision, but you cannot choose your consequence. And you've got a couple consequences. You've got the consequence from your parents, which will probably be the most immediate one. And then you've got the overall consequences of the Lord. And if you have, if you as a teenager, for example, if you get with this person and you have sex before you are married and you don't end up staying with that person. Now, it's sin enough that you had sex before you were married, but let's say that you don't end up staying with that person. You just had a relationship, an intimate relationship with someone else's wife or husband. Right? You, you now have been holding hands, lusting after, looking at, talking sweet nothings to, texting someone else's wife or husband. While your future wife or husband is out there, and let's say you are a woman or a man, and God's perfect plan is that you are saved for that individual. The consequences is you have lost that blessing now. You have lost the blessing that you and your wife or you and your future husband can now be each other's first in all of those things. That that can be something that God has ordained that you would share solely with that person. You have now lost the blessing. That is a consequence of that. Let's say you, when you are 18 years old, run off and marry that person. And then that person leaves you and now you are divorced. And you felt the Lord's called to preach. You know what consequence of that? Now you can't be a pastor. At least not in a church that goes by what the Bible says. A husband of one wife. That's a consequence. Does that mean that God doesn't love you anymore? No. Does that mean that you can't be a member of a church? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that your pastor will love you any less or that we should shun you in some way and have you wear a red cloak around or something. It doesn't mean any of that. But there are consequences for sin. And you don't get to choose what those are. After you choose, then your choices choose for you. So point number one, the courtship that leads to consent. Number two, the consent that leads to conception. First, there's a courtship, then there's a consent, and then there's a conception. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Now, you see, with these actions, there comes an unholy union, okay? And that brings forth this child of sorts, and this child that we see being created here is an unholy child that is sin. The mother of that sin is essentially our inward lust. The father of that sin is our outward attraction, right? Um, and when they come together, they produce and conceive this child that is sin. Now, like the joy that a parent feels when there's an actual baby being conceived in the physical sense, sin, when conceived out of lust, it may be joyful. Okay, There may be an instance of joy there. It may be pleasant. It may be, uh, it may be beautiful at the time. Many today are going around right now and they feel fat and happy and they're having a great time in their sin today. There's a quote that says, those who fain serve him best are most conscious of sin within them. Are you conscious of your own sin? Do we even care today? Or are you justifying it? Are you ignoring it altogether? Are you even maybe reveling in it? 
James 1.15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So then point number three. There is a conception, then that leads to a consummation. There's a courtship, there's a consent, there is a conception, and then there is a consummation. Now listen to me now. This is a message that long ago our country and, and unfortunately many of our pulpits today have forgotten. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So what is this consummation? All right, back to our passage. James 1.15, that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin it is finished, bringeth forth death. When it is finished, meaning when it is literally full grown, when this child then this sin has become full grown. So you can't see the sin essentially when it's a baby. You can't see it when it feels really good, when it feels natural to you, when it feels right. But listen, I know what you're thinking. If this is describing you, you're thinking, I found the loophole. We always do, right? When we sin, we think, I found the loophole. I beat the game. I found the loophole. I know because I've done it. But we can't be fooled. Because Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. James 1.15, Then when we lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Lust, sin, equals death. I mean, let's just be real with ourselves. I mean, we're friends here this morning, right? We can be real with each other. We unfortunately have an entire generation of young people out there in the world today who don't believe that this is true. They don't listen to the Word of God. They don't believe that the Word of God is even true. That's why I preach what I preach in Sunday school this morning. They say, it's, it's really not my fault. Somebody else made me do it. God made me this way. Nobody is to blame except Satan or God or anybody but ourselves. That's, that's not what God's word says. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Now, listen to me. You will not beat this game. Okay? This is, if this is a game that you are playing in your life, the sin of sin, you know, trying to beat it, trying to hide it, whatever, you will not beat this game. This is not a game that you can win. So we need to stop even trying to play the game. The blame game is a fun game to play, but you will always be the loser. Let's notice from some examples here how sin ends. Let's look at some examples. All right. If I look at alcohol, drinking, consuming alcohol, um, we can look at one passage specifically, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 31 through 32. If we look at that, we can look at this here. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, but when it giveth his color in the cup. When it moveth itself, all right, talking about when it's fermented, right? At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Not at the first, but at the last. What are some of the most innovative, funny, beautiful advertisements that you will see if you watch commercials today? It's alcohol commercials, right? You see the liquor companies showing, uh, I mean, back in the day it was the Clydesdales. And um, what, what do you see mostly when you watch the Super Bowl if you watch the commercials and you're not turning them off? 
most of them are Bud Light and, and liquor and, and everything else, right? And they're, they're judged and people wait to watch these commercials. And they show everything being so much fun and people playing on the beach and Clydesdales that are beautiful running around and whatever. They don't show the teenager with his face smashed up from going through a windshield. They don't show individuals in the yard getting their stomach pumped. They don't show the drunkard in the gutter laying in his own vomit. They don't show that. And why don't they show it? They don't show the last. They show the first. They show the guy sitting around his bass boat saying, it doesn't get much better than this. And they're right. Because it only gets worse. At the last, right? At the last. That's what we have to think about. At the last, it bites like a serpent. Next, right? Alcohol. What about immorality? Everything today is run by lust and its byproduct. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. You're not going to break God's law and get away with it unscathed. You need to forget about that. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Yes, you might have that momentary physical pleasure if you are, if you are enticed and you are then entwined in immorality. But at her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. What about human pride? Maybe today you're getting your toes stepped on a little and you're saying that you don't have to listen to this. And, and you're 100% right, you don't. You say, I've got my own ideas, and, and you may have. But what does the word of God say about that? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see the theme here? There are things that I may teach your children as the guy who teaches youth here, or that pastor may teach the adults and when he's counseling you and he's talking to you, right? And by all means, if for some reason there is a teacher from Sunday school on up that teaches them, that teaches you or somebody else something that is not true to the word of God, by all means, let us know. But if we're teaching you what the word of God says and you can't handle that, maybe it's time to take a long look in the mirror and see what the real issue actually is. Right? I will never apologize for saying what the Word of God says. Amen. Never. And, and there are churches today, much like ours, that there are more seats empty than there are full. And many times those churches are the churches that are preaching the truth because people don't want to hear that today. You may say that you have your own ways of doing religion, worship, and prayer. You may want to raise your kids your own way. <clears throat> lead your family your own way, go right ahead, help yourself. But the end thereof are the ways of death, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Dr. R.G. Lee said this, you can eat the devil's corn if you want, but he'll choke you on the cob. So what do we have? Right? What, do we, what have we got here? We have courtship, consent, conception, and then this consummation. So let's wrap this up. Where is the problem? Sin is an inside job. Right? We agree on that. Remember, we looked at Mark chapter 7, and all these things came from where, he said? Within. Okay? 
You can't blame anybody but yourself. A man is tempted by his own lust, drawn away, enticed. This is an inside job. And as long as you live, you will never escape temptation. So what do you do then? Just give up? Heavens no. The only thing that you could possibly do. You must, 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 must have an inward change. An inward change. You have to have your heart changed. If you can't do that, don't think that Satan's going to relent on you and just take it easy because you called time out. Right? That's not how it works. And that change begins at salvation. It begins at salvation. What is, that's what James is talking about here as we look at verse 17 and 18. After he talks about that old heart and, and old will and those old lusts, he goes on to say in verse 17 and 18, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, and whom, of, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is talking about the new birth. I'm not perfect, and I know that anybody who's known me for any amount of time can say, well, thanks for telling us, we already knew that, right? But none of us are perfect, right? But, but if I'm looking at myself here, I'm not perfect, but Jesus, when I was saved, gave me a new heart. He gave me a new heart. And I have within me today the strength and, and, and the power that I need to live a victorious life. And I don't have to make excuses for that. I don't have to try to blame God. I don't have to try to blame circumstances. But I can say by the grace of God that I am what I am and I am changed. Are you changed? Do you need a new heart? If you do, then you need to accept him today. You need to accept him. Stop fighting it your own way. Think about it. How has that worked in your life so far? My guess, pretty awful, right? Because I was saved old enough in my life that I can remember my life turning out pretty awful when I look back on it now. Now, when I was in the middle of it, not being saved and not living for the Lord, I thought it was fine because that's how everybody lived. But you look back on it now, now that I have God in my life, now that I'm saved, now that I'm renewed, now that I'm changed, now that I'm a new creature. I can see how depraved I was. The, the problem is this. Even if we are saved, right? Even if you are saved, and I'll end with this. You take a piece of cork, right? And you place it on top of the water. What does it do? It floats, right? A piece, it's not a trick question. A, cork, a piece of cork placed on top of the water floats. I can push that cork down, and what does it do? It comes right back up. Right? So if you look at it scientifically, right, you can push it down five feet, 10 feet, right, 20 feet, 100 feet. You can push it down and that cork comes right back up. Now, the problem with that is that if it's pressed down, right, at least from what I can read, I've never tried this, 200 feet below the surface, that cork will no longer rise to the surface. 
the cork itself will collapse because of the pressure being too great on that cork. So it is with the people who sink to the depths of sin. Right? And this is what's so enticing. The devil may get you to do one little thing and another little thing and another little thing and another little thing. And you may keep rising to the top and nobody knows and you keep wearing your suit at church and saying hallelujah and you got your Jesus fish on the back of your car and you go to the men's retreat with us and everybody thinks you're doing fine. But eventually you're going to get to that point where you can't hide it anymore. Nor do you care to hide it because you're at such a depth that you are being crushed by your sin. You're no longer coming back to the top for air anymore. Let's not put this off any longer. Okay? If you're here today and you're not saved, you need to get that right today. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know if you're going to walk out this door and get hit by a bus. And then it's too late. You don't know what tomorrow holds. If you need to get that right today, you get it right. But if you say, look, Brother Allen, I'm here today and I am saved. But I've not been living the way that I should. Then you need to get that right today. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And whether that means that you get that right in your seat or you come up here and you humble yourself before God and man at the altar, you do whatever it is that God has led you to do, but you do what he's led you to do. You get that right today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this time that we've had to look into your word. And thank you so much for these people who are here today. And Lord, thank you for for your son and for his sacrifice that he made on that cross so that we can be redeemed. And Lord, thank you for your patience that you have with us. Lord, if there's one here today that is not saved, we ask that they can get that right today. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is saved, Lord, but they are going through something in their life that is keeping them from, from that ultimate um, connection, that ultimate Fellowship with you, Lord, we ask they can get that right. Now, as everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed, I don't want anyone to be looking around today. As we are about to start the invitation, I just have two quick questions. I want you to think today. Have you been have you been drawn by sin? Have you consented to that sin? Have you consummated these sins in your life? Maybe you say, look, today, nobody's looking at you, nobody's judging you, that isn't the point. The point is, right now, I just want to pray for you right now. And I just want you to stick your hand right up in the air and stick it right back down. You say, I have something in my life, I want to get it right. Can you just pray for me, stick your hand up in the air and stick it right back down. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Maybe you say, look, I don't even know what you've been talking about when you've been talking about these things of salvation and redemption and I need to get that right today I need to get it right today I need to get saved so that I can be a child of God if that's you today again you'd right up in the air right there. <coughs> All right. so right where you're sitting right now let's let's spend a moment in silence with the Lord if you feel that the Lord has drawn you to, to get this right pastor's going to be at the front his mic's going to be turned off and if you want to come up, shake his hand, talk to him about anything, whether it's church membership, salvation, baptism, or that you just want some to talk with somebody, we'd love to talk to you today about how you can get these things right today.
Um, but just a few announcements. This Saturday we have a church work day um, from 9 till 1 in the afternoon. And then at 1 we're um, going to be providing a lunch. But I still need a couple of ladies to commit to doing it. I forgot to ask ahead of time. So if you're able to um, help get a lunch ready um, for those that are going to be at the work day, please let me know um, today um, before you leave. But, um, the main project we need to work on is in the nursery. Um, but if we actually have big turnout, we don't want everybody in there. But um, we um, need help getting the trim up, the baseboard trim. Daniel's going to be leading that, but he really needs help. Quinn was going to be helping him, but he's working next Saturday. So um, if anyone's able to really help with gluing the vinyl trim to the walls, um, let us know. Let Dan or let Daniel know. And um, but just want to have a um, short work day, and um, hopefully we we'll get quite a bit um, done. Yes. From 9 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon. And so 1 will be when we do lunch. And, um, and then on Sunday, um, next Sunday, after church, not right away after, um, give you some time to go home, get lunch real quick. Um, but around 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock probably be about the time when we'd get leaving, caravanning from the church. But we're going to have a um, men's and sons, father and sons, um, fishing activity. Uh, we'll probably be going to Mayfield Lake. Um, if someone thinks of a better location, better place, let me know ahead of time, and maybe we'll change destinations. Um, I haven't really taken a lot of time to think of where. Um, Daniel's just taking us um, there, taking me there. Actually, we just showed up there. He told me about it. Um, it didn't fish so well on the bank, though. Hopefully, it'll be better. Um, next week. But um, if you think of another place, he took Solomon fishing yesterday and um, they um, went on a boat and so they caught fish. Um, anytime they go on a boat, they catch fish just about. But um, well, here we'll be fishing on the bank. Unless a bunch of you have boats, then I'd gladly go on the boat with you. No, Albert has one. He just has a lot of work he says he has to do. He says he wants to take us to the ocean um, to go um, fishing there sometime. And also next week, we're going to be starting our youth, our teen Sunday school class. And um, there'll be a meeting room upstairs. Um, Alan's not going to be able to be here for the workday um, due to um, some um, other commitments he has with the kids. Um, but he, they came up and cleaned out one of the rooms, got a room ready for the teens. And so he already did a lot um, um, for a workday before the workday. Amen. But um, youth class will be starting next week at 10 o'clock, um, Sunday school class. And they also teens do once a month activities as well. There is the youth conference next month um, that's coming up. We have flyers of that um, in the foyer. And then there's also a ladies' coffee break coming up in, um, at next week, October 25th. Um, God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship, be friendly.